0: Last Sunday, we kicked off this new year talking about waiting, which sounds kind of like the opposite of what you should do at the beginning of a new year. Like, it's like go time. It's the new year. Everybody like lose 20 pounds and whatever your new year's resolution might be. But in fact, I, I just wanted us to stop and actually do the opposite and just press pause for a moment because we talked about this idea that even though the calendar has changed, um, our world is still waiting. I mean, we're, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Now there's this second strain that's starting to spread and it's kind of like, ugh, right? It's, it's like a, a, a collective gasp of like, seriously? <laughs> We're still waiting, and yet, we're talking about the gift of waiting. That Last week, we talked about how waiting is, is God's tool. Like It feels like a waste of time, it feels like a loss, but it's actually God's tool to advance and empower us. And today, I want us to look at what we're waiting for. And that's the question, the big question today is, what are you waiting for? I, uh, I asked you at the end of last week's sermon just to take some time this week and maybe grab a journal, piece of paper, something, just to spend a moment and to reflect and to just ask these questions that we have. I think we have a slide for that if you want to put that up for us, Lance. The, the waiting challenge. Now, waiting is a challenge, but I want to challenge you to wait and to ask these questions of you know, what are you concerned about? What are you facing? What, what, where, where do you need guidance? To, to spend some moments and just asking yourself, what is it that I'm waiting for? Like, where do I need the Lord? Today, I want us to continue on as we talk about waiting. And we're going to look at what the New Testament has to say about waiting. The the primary passage is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. It's going to be verses 1 through 10. So if you have a copy of scripture, I want to encourage you to, to get that out. If you have a device that you read the Bible on or if you have a Bible in your lap, open there with me to 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to talk about what are you waiting for? Have you ever asked that question before? Ever had somebody in your life and you're like, what are you waiting for? I went to a a church poker game. I I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I went to a church poker game years ago. Some guys in the church were like, hey, we're going to play poker. Y'all come over. And I was dating a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed young lady named Casey, maiden name Barber. And the guy that was, uh, that was kind of putting on this little poker game, he looked at me and he's like, Chris, what are you waiting for? Like, you need to marry this girl, right? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? What are you waiting for? Or maybe you've asked somebody, what are you waiting for? First Thessalonians starts uh, verse one, chapter one, the beginning of the book. Paul says, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you, in peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that phrase. Verse four, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full assurance, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore... We don't need to say anything for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. This is so key, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul, and he's writing a letter to this church that he was there for like maybe a few weeks. He, he went there on his missionary journey. He gets there. He preaches in the synagogue for a few weeks. He reasons, and it says a large number of Greeks and some God-fearing women and some Jews come to know the Lord through him uh, trying to reason with them, but then there's this riot that breaks out. And they're angry, the Jews are angry, because people are accepting the message of Jesus. And so they stir up the town, they stir up the city, and they have to uh, have Paul escape in a, in a back window, in a basket. They lower him down out of the city wall, and he, he has to flee. So he's only there for a few weeks, but God does this amazing work. And so he's writing this letter back to them. This is about 51 AD. It's about 18 years after Jesus has been crucified and died and buried and risen and ascended. And so here we are, 18 years after Jesus walks on the earth and he's telling them, hey, here's what, you know, the the report about you is that you turned from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait to wait for his son from heaven. The first thing that I want you to understand today is that when we talk about waiting, we need to understand that waiting gives us eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. I mean, that's what we see here. I, uh, I, I haven't flown in a while because of the pandemic. But uh, on March like, 1st, my wife and I were flying out to Orlando to go to a conference. And it was right when coronavirus was like being kind of put in the news. And so I remember walking into the airport, and people had masks on. I didn't have a mask on. I didn't even know about this. I sat down in the food court, and everyone looked at me like, like, what are you doing sitting down without a mask? And people were like, you know, staying away from us. And, and it was right at the beginning. And it's the last time I flew. And I miss flying because my favorite part is when you lift off, right? When you lift off from your city, your hometown, and you lift off and you begin to see, like, you know, you can see all the roads and the main highways, you're trying to remember like, okay, what road is what road? And like, you get this higher vantage point. You get a perspective. And as we look at waiting in the New Testament, it's always connected to this. It's lifting our eyes up and to get a greater perspective, an eternal perspective, a heaven-mindedness. And that's what Paul's talking about in these believers in verse 10, that they're waiting for the sun from heaven. I, I love in verse 3, he uses this phrase, and he says, it says, Your work produced by faith... Your labor motivated by love, like a labor of love. And then he says, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that word endurance literally means patient, steadfast waiting. It's like not swerving. It's like staying steadfast and you're waiting patiently. And he said they're inspired waiters. That you're, you're inspired by hope in Jesus to wait steadfastly for him eternal perspective and this is so important because you and I as we're kind of down in the weeds of life when we're on the ground when we're living day to day it's so easy to get stuck in a moment like we we have something happen and we feel like that's it Th- that's my life right this is it And we we lose perspective. It feels like everything is so big. And then you have to come up higher, like rising in the airplane. And I can look down and be like, ah, Houston's flat. Like, it's no, this is so flat. It's boring, right? But down on the ground level, you just feel like things are bigger than they are. I had a friend years ago who, um, he was a, a, on our worship team. He played piano. And this guy loved Jesus. And he met this beautiful young girl in our ministry, and she loved Jesus. And they looked like they just went perfectly together. And after a few, you know, a, a few, I don't know, maybe eight, ten, eleven months of dating, he's like, I think I want to marry this girl. And so you know, he's talking to all of his leaders, his counselors, his pastors, he's talking to his parents, her parents, and everyone's on board, except there comes this moment where his dad just kind of, you know, we all have some dysfunction in our families, and there's lots of different flavors of dysfunction, and this particular dysfunction was control. And his dad said, no. I I wanted you to do XYZ first, and you didn't do that, so no, you, you can't marry her. And if you do, disown you so my friend talks with his pastors talks with us talks I mean talks with everyone talks with the girls parents finally he's like I feel like I'm supposed to pursue this girl I'm supposed to marry her and he he did his father didn't come to the wedding his father literally just removed himself from his life over control and I remember my friend Being so heartbroken, so just totally destroyed by the fact that his dad would remove himself from his life and he met with our pastor and I'll never forget what he said, he told him this, don't forget God is big. Don't forget life is big. Do you know what he was telling my friend? He said, Get a higher perspective. Right now, this feels like this is the end. Like you don't know how you're gonna recover. You don't know how you're gonna get over this, but I just want you to know God is big and life is big and lift your eyes. Get perspective so important for us. As we look at what it means to wait, we need to understand that waiting is actually a training ground for us to get some higher perspective, to wait for his son from heaven. I did a, a, a quick survey this week of Every New Testament instance that had to do with waiting, because I wanted to know, like, what does the whole of the New Testament tell us about waiting? And so here's what I found. Paul talks about us groaning inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters of the king in Romans 8, 23 that we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 1-7. He says it again in Galatians 5-5 that we wait for the hope of righteousness, that that we would be with God totally clean and to be with him face to face, the hope of our righteousness in Galatians 5-5. In Titus 2.13, he says that we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And James, James the brother of Jesus, 5, 7 through 9, teaches. He says, be patient, waiting for the coming of the Lord, like the farmer waiting for the fruit of the earth. Saying like you're, you're sowing, you're tilling, there's a harvest coming. Wait, be patient for the coming of the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 11, uh, through 13, he, he exhorts us, this is Peter, our beloved disciple, exhorts us to live godly lives as we await and hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Jude 21 says, there will be scoffers in the last days, but we should keep ourselves in the love of God as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time that it talks about waiting, it's talking about getting an eternal perspective to wait for that which is coming from the Lord. We just sang about it. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. It's what we're talking about. This perspective of Jesus coming, Jesus returning, the revealing of our Lord and Savior. So waiting gives us eternal perspective, not so much because of what we're waiting for, but because of who we're waiting for. The second thing that I want you to understand from verse 10 is that we're waiting for our Lord who rescues. That's what he says in the passage. We're waiting for our Lord who rescues. And in that Psalm 40 that they just sang is all about deliverance. So that's what the, the David, the psalmist, is saying. He's like, God delivered me. I will sing a new song. And then if you read later, he's like, I'm in trouble again, God. <laughs> I need some help, like, deliver me again. We're waiting for the Lord. Who rescues. Um, this passage, it brings forth both rescue and wrath in the same phrase, and that's a lot to unpack. I, uh, this weekend, I was in our guest room, and I came out of the guest room, and I left the door open, and Casey says to me, oh, like, if you go in that room, you can't leave the door open, and the reason is the guest room is full of what I call Christmas shrapnel. It's like a Christmas bomb went off in there and there's boxes and there's like stuff that needs to find a new home. And it's like when you look in the door, you're like, uh, right? So she's like, please don't leave the door open. And I was thinking about the, the job of a, of a pastor, the job of anyone who teaches the Bible, is that our job is to open doors sometimes that make us see some things that we need to wrestle with. And I believe that that's what we find in this verse is that he gives us a phrase that we're waiting for Jesus, right? His son Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Rescues us from wrath. I'm afraid that we've put the mute button on wrath that in the church as believers that we don't like to talk about the day that's coming. <laughs> and I was just thinking if if there was a deadly fatal tornado that was going to come to my house and when it got there I wouldn't have time to like do anything it's like it was going to come fast like I would wanna know about it, wouldn't you? Right? Because if I knew about it, then I could do what? I could prepare for it, like, it's coming, like, I've gotta get myself ready. I would wanna know. Or, let's take that example and, and just shift it. If I knew a tornado was coming to your house, and it's, it's bad, it's deadly, but I didn't tell you Would you be a little bit frustrated with me? Like, you knew this was coming? You're like, well, I didn't wanna be the doom and gloom guy. I didn't wanna say, like, you know, there's a big tornado coming, right? Nobody wants to be that guy. I just, you know, I like to keep it light, so. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That, That we've put the mute button on something that the Bible does not mute. It talks about extensively. There's a day that's coming. Get ready, and let me tell you, there's a grace in knowing it's coming. God didn't have to do that, but from the Old Testament prophets all the way through the book of Revelation, you're gonna find there's a day that's coming, and you need to be prepared. You need to get ready. And I don't think we understand rescue until we begin to wrestle with wrath. We don't know how good it is to be rescued. We don't understand. We think that maybe, maybe rescue means my life's going to get a little bit better here. Maybe I'm not gonna struggle with fear quite as much as I used to. Maybe I'm not gonna feel so insecure. Maybe I'm gonna know how to make decisions better because I'm gonna have the Holy Spirit guiding me and my life's gonna get a little bit better. And yes, amen, praise God. He does things on this side of heaven that are beautiful. I want you to experience all of that. But you need to understand that rescue is more than just some things right now. It is a big picture, eternal rescue from a day that's coming. The day of wrath. This week, um, we got to see a picture of wrath, didn't we? I don't know about you, but Wednesday was kind of a wash for me because I got home and I thought, oh, the electoral college thing. I'm gonna watch that. Which turns into protests. Which turns into riots. People who are angry. That's what wrath means. It means strong anger. I had lots of people commenting on social media about, you know, the Black Lives Matter riots versus this riots, and they're making all these distinctions I didn't think were really helpful, but I thought, you know, these are actually the same thing. People who feel, um, they feel angry because they feel like there's a system that's rigged against them, and nobody's doing anything about it. That's what both of those were about. And it was a show of anger, and it was saddening. It was heartbreaking to see our nation's capital under siege like that. But it's a picture of anger, a picture of wrath. And let me tell you, what we saw on Wednesday is nothing compared to the day that God is bringing. It's it's righteous anger. It's the God who creates everything and who loves perfectly and gives us everything we need for life, who makes his sun to shine on the righteous and on the unrighteous, who sends his son to die on a cross to rescue people and to have those people say, no, thank you. We're good. (laughs) I have all I need. I've done no wrong, really. I, mean, I haven't killed anybody yet. And for God to say, no, no, I've put everything out for you. And yet you keep turning, you keep rejecting. And there's this anger in God that we don't like to talk about because we don't know how to handle it. I, I'm the same way. <laughs> and we mute it. Paul says, the coming wrath. It's coming and yet in the midst of that in the same context second peter 3 peter says look you need to understand the lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay but he's patient with you he's not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. He's saying, Look, I know this is terrifying. Like, we don't know what to do with the righteous anger of God, but it's absolutely righteous. But you need to understand that He's not all anger, He's not all wrath, He's not all fury. He is absolute in pure love, in mercy, in grace, in patience, in goodness. And He's made a way for you, and He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want that. And he made a way for you to be rescued from the wrath. And when we understand wrath, then we can say, I am rescued. Which means, (laughs) no matter what happens, if the worst thing were to happen to you, no matter what, when you begin to get a higher perspective, when you begin to see with this heaven-mindedness of this is where I'm going, this is where we're headed, then no matter what happens, you can know I am going to be just fine. Because Jesus has rescued me. So, Waiting gives us eternal perspective. We're waiting on the Lord who rescues. And I just want to just end with this thought that what you're waiting for determines what you're doing now. Let me say that again. What you're waiting for determines what you're doing now. Your waiting shapes your working. Your perspective determines your pursuit. I uh, found this quote. I love this quote. It's from C.S. Lewis in the book, Mere Christianity. And here's what he says. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Wise words. He says, look... If you're like afraid of being so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good, he said it actually works different than that. It works opposite. It's like when you get that perspective, when you begin to see from this higher vantage point of where you're headed and where this is going, it's like all of a sudden, it transforms what you're doing right now. You're going to live differently in light of that because you know I'm going to stand before the Lord. Jesus is coming. His kingdom will come. It's going to happen. His, the new heavens and the new earth, they're going to be here. And so today, I live in light of that day. I love in verse 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 1, he says this. It's, he says, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols, and I love this, to serve the living and true God, to serve him. That she turned from idols. This town was full of idols, full of the whole pantheon of of Greek and Roman idols, the Egyptian idols, the, the emperor worship of the Roman Empire. I mean, it was a religiously complex place. And the message comes in and people say, yes, because they realize this is the living and true God. And all these things were just idols. And he says, they turn to serve him, to serve. And, and he goes on, he says, and to wait for his son from heaven. To serve and to wait, to serve and to wait. It's this interplay of looking to heaven and saying, that shapes what I do right here, to serve and to wait. Second Peter 3, talking again about the end times. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in lies of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? What he's saying is this. When you begin to live from a heavenly perspective, you're gonna make some different decisions about sin in your life. We all have temptations. Hello? Hello? I have temptations, I know you do too. We all have temptations that we struggle with, things that pull on us and we're like, ugh. But if I'm living today for today, it's so easy for me to be like, "Ah, sure, why not? Sounds like fine. But when I realize, no, no, this is passing away, this is temporary, this is transitory, and what's coming is what matters. I begin to make different decisions about sin in my life. In verse 7 and 8 of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about how the gospel rang out from them. Like that, it was like oh, this idea of an echo. I mean, if you look at the word, that's what it carries. It's like the echo of the gospel. It's like it just kind of reverberates out from these people as they grab hold of it, and they turn to serve and to wait. You see, this eternal perspective motivates us for mission, for God's mission. We begin to view everybody differently, right? We're like, hey, there's, there's a deadly tornado coming. I should probably let some people know. Hmm. I should tell people about Jesus. It, it motivates us for mission. We view people in this new light. We spend our time differently in light of that time. We spend our money differently because we're like, you know, building this thing here isn't really going to last. What if I could build something there? We, we spend differently. We spend money and time. It's like this perspective changes everything. It's not like a neat little add-on to your theology. It's not a mod. It's, it's a paradigm shift to begin to look from an eternal perspective and waiting It's in waiting where we shift our eyes upwards and see from a higher perspective. Lastly, in closing, at the ripe old age of 22, I told God I was ready to go home. Now, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't suicidal. And if you are depressed and suicidal, I'm not talking about that today. I want you to know that. Okay, that's not the answer. That's not what God has for you. But I was so sick. I had strand four salmonella. Have y'all ever had uh, uh, food poisoning before? A few of you have, yeah? So I went to this uh, chuck wagon style barbecue at a campsite. And this was a massive camp. Had thousands of people at it. I was just one of the many camp groups there. And they had somehow gotten like the chicken prep bowl, kind of mixed up with the potato salad bowl or something like that and so all these people and I'm talking like it was like a war zone I mean people were falling over outside like I mean there was people throwing up I mean it was like and I had you know I have a pretty strong immune system and I thought praise God I didn't get it and I'm walking out the door of the little dormitory and then all of a sudden my vision just goes and I'm like Oh no, it's the gurgle. And let me tell you, I, it was like three weeks of throwing up. Three weeks. And I felt so bad, so terrible, that I at the ripe old age of twenty-two, I was like, Lord, I've lived a good life. Take me now. And <laughs> if you've ever felt that sick before. In some strange way. At a young age, I felt like I made peace with this is temporary. But here's the thing. The older I get, the easier it is to, to kind of adjust my eyes to a lower horizon. Does that make sense? At a young age, in my, maybe my youthful zeal, my optimism, my spiritual whatever, I was, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go. But the older I get, it's so much easier to look at lower horizons to say, if I could just get my kids successfully launched, that'd be, that'd be great. If I could just get to that point where like finances don't feel stressful, wouldn't that be great? If I could just get to retirement, wouldn't that be great? If, if I could just get, you know, and there's like, there's an endless, like, next thing, next thing, grandkids, you know, wh- whatever that is. And it's so easy for us to lower our horizon, and all those things are good things, and they're wonderful things, and they're great. But it's not the thing. It's not the horizon that God calls us to look to and to wait for. I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? When you look at your life, when you look at the horizon, what are you looking at? What do you see? What, what is the end goal that you have your eyes fixed on? And I just want to say to you what my pastor said to my friend. Lift your live today in light of that day as we wait for the coming of our rescuer. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin churchorg